welcome, welcome. Let's go ahead and invite the chime to sing and then we'll fully arrive to our practice today. Welcome everyone. This is Recovery Dharma. My name is Julia. I'm one of the facilitators of uh, Recovery Dharma in the Spokane Sangha. On Wednesdays, we have been exploring a book called Standing at the, R the Edge, written by Roshi Joan Halifax. And we have been, in this book, exploring different qualities that we can all cultivate as human beings. The quality of altruism and generosity. The quality of respect, which also means looking at the ways we engage with life disrespectfully. We're now exploring the limitless quality of compassion. The edge state, as Roshi describes it, is the place where we have, um, where tension comes together and we really encounter the fertile landscape of growth. Where if we go over the edge, we're usually experiencing some kind of negative consequence. Whereas if we don't get close enough to the edge, we experience the consequences of being apathetic, maybe lazy, fearful, anxious. And so the edge state is m in movement. It's, it's always, uh, we're always kind of getting close and stepping away, going over and coming back. And so the edge state is that place where we can pause and say we've gone over the edge and are experiencing some kind of consequence. We come back into a quality, into a state of being where we can examine our errors, examine the consequences, and grow and change. If we don't get close enough to the edge and we stagnate and we just stay in repetitive habit energy with awareness, we can awaken and step closer to some tension, closer to some challenges affording us opportunities to step into wisdom and maturity. So today, I'm going to read a section from this book about compassion and how Roshi, one of the edge states, how she works with compassion in her life, is she did a lot of work in hospice care. So she spent a lot of time sitting with people who are dying. I would like for you to, I'm, I'm bringing this forward now as a preface, because I'd like you to entertain not only the literal idea of what it is to bear witness to someone physically dying, but I'd also like you to play with this idea, play with her, allow her words to inspire your own mind to think about the way death and dying is activated within you metaphorically. Habit energy dies. We have to watch certain ways that we engage with life die. We have to say goodbye and maybe even grieve 
things that we once enjoyed that no longer serve us well. Sometimes that means the end of relationships with respect to recovering from substance misuse. So this is the way death can enter into our lives in a metaphoric way and how we are afforded an opportunity to learn to bear witness to that, to be at our own edge states, stay with it, observe, witness, and engage self-compassion. Bear witness to our grief, the things that are dying away, and offer ourselves the gift of compassion. This is what Roshi has to say. Over my years of sitting with dying people, I saw that compassionate presence reduces the fear that dying people experience and supports them as they approach death. It also has a profoundly positive effect on those who serve the dying, particularly if a caregiver has a contemplative practice. Years ago, Dr. Gary Pasternak, the medical director of Mission Hospice in in San Mateo, California, and a long-term meditator, sent me an email I've never forgotten. He wrote, I'm up late admitting patients to the inpatient hospice unit. Just when I think I'm too old for these late nights without sleep, a person in all their rawness, vulnerability, and pain lays before me, and as my hands explore the deep wounds in her chest and my ears open to her words, my heart cracks open once again. And this night, a sweet 36-year-old woman with her wildly catastrophic breast cancer speaks of her acceptance and her hope for her children. And she speaks with such authenticity and authority. And her acceptance comes to me as the deepest humility a person can experience. And then again, once again, I remember why I stay up these late nights and put myself in the company of the dying. Gary's words reflect respect and a quietness of heart as well as humility and courage. He was able, in the medical world of distractions, time pressure, and sleep deprivation, to slow down and open to life and death, to listening and love. And in the midst of his patient's pain and his own, he remembered who he really was. This is compassion. The ability to turn toward the truth of suffering with the wish to relieve that suffering and then awaken with humility to the precious gift of serving others selflessly. 
Experiencing compassion also seems to diminish depression and anxiety because it opens our horizon beyond the narrowness of the small self. As researcher Emma Sapala, Sapala wrote, research shows that depression and anxiety are linked to a state of self-focus, a preoccupation with me, myself, and I. When you do something for someone else, however, that state of self-focus shifts to a state of other focus. Filmmaker George Lucas, though not a scientist, has a similar take on compassion. When asked what his film Star Wars is really about, he said, there are two kinds of people in the world, compassionate people and selfish people. Selfish people live on the dark side. The compassionate people live on the light side. If you go to the side of the light, you will be happy because compassion, helping other people, not thinking only about yourself, gives you a joy that you cannot get any other way. In the big book of AA, Bill Wilson spoke highly of being of service. And this is what he was encouraging. To gain access, to share, to help others, to bear witness. These are the avenues, these are the ways to express compassion. However, we cannot forget that as individual human beings, most of us with a habit energy of ignoring ourselves, rejecting ourselves, neglecting ourselves, We have not cultivated a strong practice of self-compassion, bearing witness to our own pain in a compassionate way, in a presence without judgment, without admonishment, without shame. Shifting our relationship to habit energy, which is what it means to recover. Includes death and grief. Aspects of our behavior, our habits that once served us well were soothing companions And we have to say goodbye to them because they became destructive over time. Shifting our relationship to habit energy 
which is what it means to recover, includes opening up to new options, new ways of being in the world. And any time we venture towards something that's new, we're going to be insecure, wobbly, doubtful. We're going to make mistakes. We need a lot of encouragement. The invitation of self-compassion is to pause the habit energy of always looking external to ourselves for that validation, for that encouragement, and to remember that we are a powerful source for ourselves. We can sit and bear witness to another human being dying. We can also sit and bear witness to those aspects of ourselves that are dying because they no longer serve. This is the limitless nature of compassion. To be with suffering. Many years ago, when my daughter was very ill, there were times where I was with her in the hospital and I thought she was dying. She may have been. And I remember breathing a very specific mantra to enable myself to maintain presence toward myself when I was so uncomfortable. I was just miserable sitting there watching my daughter, not being able to do anything. The conditions of her illness were well beyond my control. And I simply had to watch and wait. And I hated every fucking moment of it. Let me be perfectly clear about that. I hated it. It was terrible. And yet I had an inner critic voice in my head that was constantly telling me that I needed to try to make the situation more positive. And I couldn't. And it felt really disingenuous. And finally I... I, I really challenged that voice and I was like, what is your problem? There's nothing good about this situation right now. And that is allowed to be okay. I hate this moment. That's, I'm allowed to let that be true. 
don't always have to make a terrible moment into a great moment or a good moment. I can be with something that I hate. I can be with something that I feel like I'm on fire on and I just want to run away from it. I can let it be what it is. Earlier this week, John on Monday evening talked about radical acceptance. That's what this is. Breathing in. I hate this moment. I fear it. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not okay. Breathing out. I am okay. I'm here, breathing, witnessing, experiencing, accepting. Breathing in, I am not okay. Breathing out, I am okay. The bothness of that, friends, that's the enactment of compassion. Being with my own misery and not forcing myself to be anything other than what I am. And remembering that beyond the immediate, the immediate experience, there's an incorruptible core part of me, my Buddha nature, that is always okay. Its wellspring is limitless. I can tap into it all the time, no matter what. Which is why on the out-breath, I always chanted, I'm okay. And this practice really carried me through some of the darkest times that I endured with my daughter. And it's something that serves very well when faced with intense craving, when faced with a recurrence of symptoms and maybe experiencing some humiliation and shame. It is very helpful for anybody who has been in treatment and the expectations of success were inflated and the reality was something else. Breathing in, I'm not okay. Breathing out, I am okay. I'm both. Breathing in the quality of compassion is limitless. Breathing out, I offer it to others and myself.
breathing in the rawness, the realness of how I really am in this moment. Breathing out the recognition of my humility, tenacity, presence, and courage. Breathing in, the quality of compassion is limitless. Breathing out, I offer it to others and myself. Take a moment and allow these examples of breathing mantras to activate your own wisdom, your own inner knowing. Breathe in, breathe out what you need to hear for yourself. friends.
And what I'd like to do is take a step toward the conclusion here and toward our dedication by bringing forward again the concept of compassion, the concept of patience, which is the theme for the month of August. And I'd like to invite us to play with also the word deserve. The middle way that the Buddha taught is always negotiating what Darren was speaking about, that in between the black and the white, in between being deserving and not being deserving, that middle way between being purely compassionate and being apathetic. that space between patience and impatience. And what we're encouraged to awaken from is our habit energy of assigning judgment. Apathy is bad, compassion is good. And yet, when we are in the middle looking at either side, we see the wisdom within and how they inform one another. If we have in our mind that other people are deserving of compassion, but we are not, we are engaging that small self ego, that me, myself, and I. If we're coming from the posture that only I am deserving of compassion and to hell with everybody else, we're also in an inflated ego. Distortions. So... If we play with these ideas, then what happens when we're sitting in discomfort is we recognize that we are both deserving of compassion and apathy, and we're also not so deserving of compassion and apathy. It's always both. And as we continue to practice, those types of defining extremes fall away. And in that place, everything becomes a teacher. Everything opens up. Everything becomes more real, more raw, more true. So take this in, let it inform your day, your afternoon and your evening. Pay attention to others, meet them where they are to the best of your ability. 
and know that any healing that you gain by your actions being here is such an extraordinary karmic seed of goodness, of merit that you bring into the world to bring here healing, to share. May you endeavor to have ease and peace. And may you bring that ease and peace to others. Thank you for your beautiful practice. We'll see you tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. Until then, friends, namaste.